0: Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which we will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you're visiting, we're glad that you have chosen to be here. We're always thankful for visitors who come our way. We invite you to come back to be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're always thankful that we have people that are looking for a church home, it may be the case that you're looking for a church home and we invite you to consider the work here at Olive Branch. We're gonna be looking in just a moment at Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Before we look at Hebrews chapter 10, I do wanna make mention of the fact that the young men of our congregation will be leading our, our service tonight and I hope that you will make plans to be back. You will be in for a treat We have three young men that'll be speaking tonight. Cameron has spoken before and he'll be speaking tonight. Taylor, who has also spoken in the past, he's gonna be speaking, and then Micah. I'm not sure if Micah has spoken before or not. He has? My bad. Well, we're glad that Micah has spoken and all of these guys are seasoned veterans and uh, they'll be ready to go and I know that you'll wanna be here and support them and we wanna do everything that we can to encourage these guys as they preach tonight. And not just them, but the others who will be participating in the service with them. I want us to look today at Hebrews chapter 10. I want us to think for a moment or two about the sacrifice of Christ. When you think about the sacrifice of Jesus, what is it? that makes that sacrifice so special. I want to suggest that there are three things that relate to the sacrifice of Christ that ought to be extremely special to us as his people. First of all, I want to submit to you that when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, that it is a unique sacrifice. Really, when we talk about something being unique, we are saying that it is matchless. I do not know of any other sacrifice comparable to the sacrifice of Jesus. There are two things that I think make his sacrifice unique. Number one, Jesus is the one who offered the sacrifice. That maybe is not so unique. But what is really unique is that not only did he offer the sacrifice, but he was the sacrifice. The Hebrew writer talks about it in chapter 9 at verse 14, how that Jesus offered himself without spot to God. Now as we think about the unique nature of this sacrifice, let me just say that another interesting sidebar to the sacrifice of Jesus is the fact that this was God in the flesh. Lots of sacrifices had been made in days gone by. Numerous animal sacrifices But this was the Lamb of God According to John the Baptist In John chapter 1 verse 29 And Jesus came to take away the sin of the world The unique nature of this sacrifice Is something that we want to think about in just a moment But let me just give you a passage of scripture That I think helps to underscore the unique nature of Jesus' sacrifice for us as it relates to the fact that he was deity. In John chapter 1, John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14, John said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When John made reference to the only begotten of the Father, in the original, it means the only one of its kind. That term is used in numerous places. For example, in John 3:16. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the only one of his kind. He is the second member of the Godhead. He was God incarnate. Now, what about the nature of his sacrifice? I said a moment ago that Jesus not only made the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. Two things along these lines. First of all, we have to consider his body. Jesus presented his body as a sacrifice for our sins. Look, if you would, at chapter 10, down in verse 10. The Hebrew writer said, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Peter would tell us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we being dead unto sin might live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So Jesus presented his body as a sacrifice for sin. But then there is a second thing that relates to the nature of his sacrifice and that is his blood. Not only did Jesus present his body, but he offered his blood for our sins. Now back up and look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12. The writer talks about the sacrifices that were made under the Old Covenant. He said, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered once into the most holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now note, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Jesus gave his blood for the sins of the human family. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood, Jesus presented. His blood to atone for our sins. The writer tells us in verse 22 of chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You and I could not enjoy forgiveness of sin without the blood of Christ. And so that is in and of itself one of the unique natures of His sacrifice. Now let me suggest that we also think about the necessity of his sacrifice. How important was the death of Jesus? Why was it necessary for Jesus to die to offer his body and blood for us? Well, the bottom line is this. Without the shedding of his blood, we could not be saved. There were a lot of sacrifices that were made under the Old Covenant. And they were a shadow, as the Hebrew writer points out in chapter 10, verse 1, of the good things to come. There were a lot of things that were written in the Old Testament that prefigured the coming of the Messiah, the death of Jesus, the promised seed of Genesis 3 at verse 15. The writers talked about the coming, the advent of God's only begotten Son. The New Testament, of course, points out to us that the Christ has indeed come. He was the fulfillment of all of those promises. But look, if you would, at verse 3. In verse 3 of chapter 10, the writer said, In regard to those sacrifices made under the old covenant, Now, granted, there were sacrifices, animal sacrifices made under the patriarchal period. But those sacrifices would not save any more than those sacrifices offered under the Mosaic dispensation. So in verse three, he said, in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance or a reminder of sins every year. Now look at verse four. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. The bottom line is, animal sacrifices could not atone for our sins. Back in the book of Leviticus in chapter 16, we read about the great day of atonement. On that day, the high priest would offer sacrifices for himself and for the sins of the people. A goat would be slain. And then, in addition to that goat that would be slain and blood shed for the sins of the people, another goat called a scapegoat would be presented. The high priest would lay his hands on the head of that scapegoat and confess all of the sins of the children of Israel. Then they would take that scapegoat and lead him out into the wilderness, signifying a removal of sin from the people. Is that not what Jesus did? Now we talk about the law being a shadow of the good things to come and types and images, types and antitypes. The day of atonement prefigured the work of Jesus, the lamb of God. When Jesus died, his blood effectively justified, pardoned, redeemed us, if you please, from sin. But not only do we enjoy forgiveness, but those sins are hurled out into infinity. In other words, we don't ever have to meet them again. The psalmist would say in the long ago, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. Of course, that's what the Hebrew writer said, The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's the idea. Our sins have been done away. They've been removed. We never meet them again. So, it was a unique sacrifice. Secondly, it was a unified sacrifice. The reason I say the sacrifice of Jesus was a unified sacrifice is because heaven, was on the same page. In other words, when I talk about heaven, I'm talking about God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. They were all on the same page as it related to the sacrifice made to atone for the sins of of humanity. For example, there are a lot of passages of scripture that emphasize the death of Jesus. Jesus and the death of Jesus was in accordance with God's eternal plan, and that's what we have to understand. This redemptive plan, it was not something that was pulled together at the last minute, but rather the plan of redemption was in place before the foundation of the world. Peter talks about how Jesus was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times. God had a divine plan. Now, as we think about this unified sacrifice, that there was a heavenly mission involved in the coming of Jesus. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit all had a part in this redemptive plan. God the Father, the architect, he's the one that planned it. Jesus was the agent by which this plan Was carried out. The Holy Spirit recorded all of these events that we have preserved in what we call the New Testament. So, having said that, let me just call attention first of all to this plan. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, John speaks of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That right there suggests that God had a plan in place before He ever laid the foundation of the earth as we know it before the universe was ever created. In Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God immediately intervened on behalf behalf of the human family and set forth what is called the promised seed. And then you have the execution of that plan, beginning in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, and going forward, you have a plan and then all of these great prophecies that were written what about the prophecies of Almighty God? Well, drop down and look at Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 5, the Bible says, therefore, when he came into the world, who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. The quotation goes all the way back to Psalm 40. The psalmist is looking forward to the advent of the Messiah, the Son of God. And so here's what he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me. So here is the psalmist writing hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to earth, and he's talking about this body that would be created or prepared for whom? For the second member of the Godhead. Where was that body prepared? In the womb of Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, the Bible tells us that that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was as heavenly as his father and as earthly as his mother. So, that being said, Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In Isaiah chapter seven at verse 14, bear in mind Isaiah's is writing seven centuries before Jesus came to earth. Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a son. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Matthew tells us that the word Emmanuel means God with us. What did John say in John 1:14? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was the word? The second member of the Godhead, the one whose goings forth are of old, from the days of eternity, as Michael would say in chapter 5. So you have this plan. And then The prophecies. Let's just think for a moment about the person. The redemptive plan and the execution of that plan fell on one man. Who was that? Jesus. Listen again to what Jesus said. When he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings. Sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Now listen to him. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume, the psalmist says, in the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Did Jesus not come to do the will of God? Was it not a unified effort? Absolutely. Listen again to what he says down in verse nine. Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Jesus came in fulfillment of Almighty God. That is, the will of Almighty God. In John chapter 4, Jesus would say in verse 34, my work is to do the will of him who sent me. In chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John 17, verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. You remember on the cross, before Jesus died for the sins of the human family, he acknowledged it is finished. What was that? It was a redemptive plan. Jesus was the person through whom we enjoy redemption today. And then finally, the promises. Jesus came in fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament pointed to a new covenant. Jeremiah talked about that new covenant. And he said in regard to that new covenant that you and I would enjoy the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 17 regarding this new covenant. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember No more. Now I want to just pause here for a minute and let me just call something let me just call something to your attention. I mentioned all of the sacrifices that were offered under that Old Testament system. If you back up and look at verse 11 listen to what the writer says. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Contrast that old covenant system with what has been executed and is now in effect today. That Old Testament system was ineffective. It could not take away sin. That's what the writer said. But today Through Jesus, what is it we have? We have the forgiveness of sins. God said, I will remember your sins, your lawless deeds no more. God's not gonna hold those things against us anymore. That's the beauty of the Christian system. That's the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, there's a third thing I wanna call your attention to, and that is, it is an unforgettable sacrifice. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus It's monumental. How do I know that? Because for nearly 2,000 years, we have been remembering the death of Jesus on planet Earth. Two things here. Number one, there is the remembrance of Jesus until he comes. Just a moment ago, we partook of the Lord's Supper. The early church did that every first day of the week according to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. The apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. I do not know when Jesus is coming, but I know this, that until he comes... Faithful Christians all over the globe will partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. They will partake of that bread that signifies the body given for sin. And then they will partake of the fruit of the vine, the cup. And that cup will signify to faithful Christians the shed blood of Jesus And we will do that until he comes. If the world stands another million years and there are faithful Christians, that's what they'll be doing every first day of the week, remembering him until he comes. But there's a second thing. We need to remember Jesus who will come. There are some folks in our world today, they have this idea that Christianity, the sacrifice of Christ the second coming, they think all of that's just fiction. Nothing to it. Let me tell you what. If that's that's your thinking, you better think again. Jesus Christ will come again. Listen to what the writer said in verse 27 of chapter 9. It is appointed for men to die once. And then he said, after this, the judgment. Unless the Lord comes first, you're gonna die. I don't know any other way to say it. You and I are all going to taste the sting of death. Some may die young. Some of us may die old. But regardless of age, race, Sex, economics, education, whatever. We will all face death. It's a reality. But the writer said, not only will we die, he said, we'll stand before God in the judgment. Listen to him in verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear sins. And then he said, to those who eagerly wait for him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Jesus came to earth once to deal with the problem of sin. When he comes again, he is coming for his own. That is, he's coming for the redeemed. Now, he will deal with the unrighteous. He'll deal with the ungodly. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, the dead will be raised. Paul said, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The righteous and unrighteous will be resurrected. We'll stand before God on that great and final day. Now as we think about remembering Jesus who will come. Two things to consider. Number one, Jesus will judge us by our words and deeds. Everything that we say and do will follow us to the judgment. There are folks that have never been baptized into Christ. The remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. The only way to contact the blood of Christ is to believe that Jesus is the son of God, John 8:24. Repent of those sins, Acts 238. Confess the name of Jesus before others, Acts 8:37, and then to be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22:16. When people do that, They are among the saved, the redeemed, the cleansed. They belong to the church, and Christ is the Savior of the church. There are some who've never done that. If you're here today and you've never done that, you need to do that. There are some who are outside of Christ today because as a child of God, they've gone back into the world. It may be that your life is not what it ought to be, There are times in the lives of Christians when things are said and done that hurt the church. There are times when people have an ax to grind against the church. Sometimes people get mad, they get upset at things that are said and done and they take it out on the local church. They denigrate the church before others. Let me just say this. If you're here today and you are not faithful, If you have in any way hurt the church, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to come before this assembly and acknowledge your wrongdoing. Listen, if if, if in any way I hurt this church or if in any way I hurt the influence of this church by my influence, I would be on the front row. Why is that? Because I want to go to heaven. And all I'm saying to you is if there is anything amiss in your life, you ought to make it right. Don't leave here under the delusion that God's going to give you a free pass because I can promise you this, he will not. Here's what the Bible says. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. This book's going to be opened on that great and final day. The criterion by which we're going to be judged is called the word of God. It's not what you think. It's not your opinion. It's not not up for debate. It is what it is, and it says what it says, and it means what it means. And we need to get that message. If we have the idea God's going to let us by on less than what he expects, we are sadly mistaken. It won't happen. I promise you it won't happen. So I say all of that to simply emphasize this fact. We need to remember Jesus who will come. And when he comes to the saved, promises eternal life, to the lost, whether somebody never having obeyed the gospel or somebody who has left the fold, here are the words, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. I hope and pray that we appreciate the sacrifice of Christ, that we understand that everything done on Calvary was done with us in mind. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be, you're not a Christian, you're not a faithful Christian, could I encourage you to come as we stand and sing?